Hello everyone, me and Carla thought we'd let you know about a few changes that are going to be happening to the podcast. So as you might have noticed, we haven't been able to get them out as regularly as we would have liked or as we <laughs> would have promised. Um, that's, yeah, just because we haven't got enough time to do it really. We're we're fat and lazy. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're too old, that's the thing. The problem is that very, we're Very, very old. old. We were three years younger when we started, right? So... Yeah, and I and I didn't have a baby. Um, yeah, this is uh, getting a bit difficult, but it's it's still like important for us to release interesting content. Hopefully, so we just want to wrap it around seasons now, and we're just gonna have a like a main topic, right? And then find speakers or maybe just us, we'll just rumble a bit about different topics to make it fit within the season. Yeah, I think it's going to mean that the content is a lot more focused. Um, so whereas before we were kind of just releasing things whenever it took our fancy, now we're going to have a very kind of specific, I suppose, design problem or area that we want to dig into a lot deeper. So it's going to mean we're going to be able to go into topic in a lot more detail and with a lot more variety of opinion as well than in the current format. Yeah, and we're going to find um, experts and people who are ready, you know, solving those problems or working on those areas. So, yeah, just if you have any ideas or any topics or anything that you want to hear from us, please let us know. You know where to find us. Yeah, and in other news, the $9 intro that you love so much is going to be retired as well in (laughs) favor of some fucking weird trip hop shit. (gasps) <gasps> it's not it's cool hip-hop is much better <laughs> well you've been rinsing me about that one for three years so now that you essentially chose it i'm gonna rinse <laughs> you about it <laughs> oh finally finally i get to choose it all right okay just with me about it cool so yeah that's all we wanted to say so enjoy the following episode um and we look forward to seeing you in the new season-based format I'm Chris Mears. And I'm Carla Lindarte. We're two UX designers. And we hate jargon. So we're here to help you untangle the world of design. Cut through the crap and talk about what really matters. Yes, solving people's problems. Welcome to Design Untangled. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Design Untangled uh, with me, Carla Lindarte and Chris Mears, my lovely friend, Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good, you? I'm very good. And today we're very excited to have Andy Lester, who is a brand designer, like it's a different type of designers that we, we've had in the past. So welcome, Andy. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. No, great to have you here. So, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself. So rather than me introducing you, just tell us what you do, what you've been doing uh, recently. Yeah, so um, I'm a brand identity designer and I've been in the industry for just over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I've recently set up my own studio called Childish Design. Um, so I'm the founder or creative director. I sort of wear a few hats now. Um, and I also teach design students as well at uh, various institutions. So I suppose we'll go into that a little bit later. Great, that sounds great. 
So um, what is a brand identity designer? So a lot of uh, the reason why I'm asking you this question is because, you know, we have most of our audience are UX designers, visual designers, you know, in that kind of space. So what is the type of design or how is this type of design different? Yeah, so um, I think there's a bit of confusing language within our our own industry, actually. Um, A lot of people say brand designer. um, And I think it's very important to say that we we create brand identities. We don't create brands. You know, McDonald's is a brand and a designer didn't create that. It's it's, um, the way I see brands and and the way that designers interact with them is uh, the same as you could see a person. You know, so you have you have a person and, and that person knows what they think, what drives them, uh, what emotions they feel and and, um, and and what their aims and ambitions are. And then they try and communicate that with the outside world. And they do that through what they say, how they say it, what they wear, how they style their hair, etc. And I suppose you could say that a brand designer does the same thing for companies. So it helps them understand who they are, what are their drivers, who's their audience. Um, but at the same time, um, gives them a, a a voice, a tone of voice to to talk in. It um, allows you to have a set of clothes. So whether that's a, a visual identity, and yes, that will include things like a logo, but things like you know choosing typefaces, choosing color palettes are, are equally as important. So I think, from my point of view, the main difference is that you have to be a lot more strategic. You have to. I think some form of ability to be able to write as well is is quite important for a brand designer. Um, and, and it's for me personally, it's it's not really about just making things look good. It's about um, making sure that you're positioning something in the right way that, that meets the consumer's wants and, and desires, really. So, I mean, traditionally in... Um like what our backgrounds like designing digital products and stuff a lot of the stuff you mentioned might be split into different kind of people doing it like for yeah. example copywriting and then the visual designer might work on the typography and stuff so are you essentially taking on all those roles as that brand designer or are you still working with those other kind of specialists depending like what the angle is yeah, I think you you still definitely work with those specialists, but I think just from the the nature of what you're actually creating, you sort of have to be making these decisions in tandem with one another. You can't really say, right, here's here's the brand, but now we need some copy because they're yeah. so interlinked at that that conceptual positioning stage that I think that you need to be able to, as a brand designer or a brand identity designer, to to be able to think in both words and visuals at the same time. And yes, a copywriter may have to rewrite what you write, but as long as the the general intent or the, the thing that you're trying to communicate is there, um, I'd say that, that there is a sort of a slightly more jack-of-all-trades nature to it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can talk a bit about the, the whole starting an agency um, thing that you spoke about so I mean that must have been quite an interesting move during this whole pandemic thing and yeah <laughs> pot- potentially quite risky like why the hell did you do that <laughs> yeah it's a good question uh it was definitely something that was already on the radar um I've always taken on freelance clients um 
and so I suppose it was more of an evolution than something that felt completely um, afresh. You know, I've basically rebranded how I present myself and brought in a few other people to help me rather than um, sort of starting something completely new. So I already had a few clients. Um, and after teaching, I, it struck me how hard it is for, for juniors to get experience. So mm. I thought, what a great opportunity to um, take on a few more projects, bring in a few junior designers, um, and just offer a, a slightly broader offering as, as a company rather than an, as an individual. That sounds really interesting. What, well, obviously, apart from being in the middle of a pandemic, what's the hardest thing you've had to do so far as started your agency? I think it's the juggling of all of the different tasks. So, you know, when I was taking on clients as an individual, um, I'd usually leave myself lots of time. I wouldn't really have other things I had to do at the same time. But having to juggle things like finance, you know, creative, like, creatively direct people, you know, design things myself, hiring people, you know, trying to attract new business. It, it's really quite, um, you have to be quite strict with, with times and, and um, schedules to sort of make that work, I think. So how has business been during COVID? Because obviously we heard a lot of kind of news about companies going bust and, you know, all the rest of it. Has there still been a big appetite that you've seen for new projects like this like are there still companies essentially looking to to focus on their brands and put that out to people absolutely yeah i mean we it's it's i i i hope that um other people have had fortunate experiences during the pandemic because obviously it's it's been a terrible time for a lot of people but but we've 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 been fine you know we've we've picked up three really good clients um we've positioned ourselves as a uh an agency for startups essentially so ethical startups and i think that due to the nature of how startups are financially funded they're usually backed by an investor and you know the investor's not looking to reap any rewards on that for a good sort of five years maybe um Mm -hmm. you know it's not as impacted because you know, if they've already had the investment, they're going to go through with that rebrand or they're going to go through with that new website or that new packaging design. So it's, it's honestly doesn't seem to have affected the startup sector quite so much. That is really good. I mean, um, it's completely the opposite of what people would think, right? Because starting a new business in this in these conditions. But it's interesting and, and, and good to know that people still you know, working in those uh, ventures. Um, you mentioned that your agency focus on, focuses on like um, sustainability and um, you know health, etc. How do you keep uh, your team and yourself focused on that? sustainable sustainability focus is it, is it because you your client your existing client base was in that in that area or how do you actually go and pitch for businesses um i think this was sort of personally driven from my own sort of set of values really i i didn't want to start a company just for financial gain um in fact it's relatively low on my priority list as long as we can sort of function as a business and and, and make ends meet then i wanted to actually you know, act somewhere between a sort of 
a college or, 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 or a, a body that can help young designers out into the industry and, and someone that can help young businesses who are doing something good out into the world. And that for me was, was far more valuable than sort of making bucket loads of cash. Uh, I suppose yeah. that, that informed why and, and what we wanted to do. So we've been, we've been really open about that. And I think that's differentiated us from a lot of other agencies. Um, and we've won some really good clients. For example, we've got uh, a plant-based baby food subscription that we're, we're working with at the moment and mm. uh, a beauty subscription brand, which, you know, you post the packaging back once you've used it. So I think it's it's given us as a brand a real differentiation. Um, and I think that being different is, is what branding is all about. So, yeah. And. Can I ask how was the process of that kind of pitching? Because obviously, you do you have contacts in the area, or do you go? How do you how do you normally pitch for business in in that space? Yeah, I would say that a lot of it is referral. So if you do a good job hmm. for, for one person, especially in something like the startup sector, you know you've probably got an investor who's invested in ten different startups. They all probably know each other, or they all went to the same incubate incubator or something along those lines there's a lot of referral but also i just think linkedin is incredibly powerful um in terms mm. of just you know you can reach right to the top you can literally message a ceo or a, a marketing director and just uh, make that connection and i found that really useful and um, so you mentioned you're kind of trying to bring on a lot of junior designers do you find that sustainability is something that they're looking to kind of work on to kickstart their career is that like a, a core value you're seeing in the the next generation yeah i think this is where the original idea for childish came about is that i was teaching at, at, at shillington college of design and i i noticed a lot of the sort of briefs that we were giving people were yeah based based around sort of social good and i could see that it really got the it really got the students engaging with the product the, the project um, and then I, I think back to my own experience from working in the industry. I've not really had the opportunity to work on things that, that did feel sort of like they were for social good. And, and that, that struck me that with changing mindsets, um, I think especially in sort of like Gen Z and, and the younger millennial group, there is this sort of real desire to do something good um, and, and, and a bit of a refusal to do something that you don't believe in for money. And I think that that shift is still taking place within the design industry because there's, there's so many agencies that will just work for anyone as long as they pay enough money. And I think that designers are going to start demanding that that changes and, and hopefully we can be a part of that. Cool. Um, so one of the other areas that your agency focuses on is packaging, which I thought would be quite interesting to explore a little bit. Yeah. Um, how does so? How do you create effective packaging? What does that design process look like? And I suppose how do you bring a company's values and everything else that goes along with that into a packaging design? Yeah. I think for me, it's about balance. So, you know, we developed that brand, that, that overall expression of the brand uh, before we move on to the packaging. It's, it's one of the rollouts, you know, so whether it's moving on to a digital execution or a print execution, you have to get that brand 
really locked down and signed off first from our point of view. There are agencies out there that I've worked at before who would move straight into pack if it was, say, for example, an FMCG product, the pack would be the first thing they design. We don't see it like that. We think that the brand needs to be applicable to everything. So getting that sort of signed off as a first port of call is is crucial for us. Um, in terms of translating that into pack, I think it's about finding that balance between emotion and those uh, those product benefits. So if, say, for example, you've got a product which has a really edgy tone of voice and it's um, saying quite shocking things, like something like BrewDog, you know, you're probably not going to waste the real estate of the packaging um, to miss that opportunity to actually state that it's a logo or to, to state that the name of the brand to get that brand equity out there or to state that it's got a certain ingredient that people are sort of pining for or that it's a vegan product. So it's about finding that balance between the emotional buy-in but then the product benefit. And I'd say the best examples of packaging find that balance really well. Um, yeah. In terms of the process, um, from a more structural point of view, um, it's about taking those elements and, and, and I suppose we, we usually try to flex different, at different places on that scale from sort of emotional buy-in to uh, functional benefits. And we let the client help decide with where they want to sit on that scale. And that would, I suppose, drive the, the different options that we would create for packaging. Uh, once we got towards a solution that, that we were happy with and the client was happy with, we'd probably design a few different SKUs. So that would be like, you know, if, if you had 30 different flavors or something, you'd probably get two or three signed off first. You'd then roll that out to the full suite of um, packs. You'd probably do some sampling or, or proofing. Uh, then it would go into what we call artworking, which is making sure that it's all print ready and uh, off to the printer. Cool. And it feels like packaging has become quite a big part of the experience of actually receiving a product now, whereas in the past, maybe it wasn't. And I feel like potentially Apple kickstarted that, you know, you got the whole experience of the the lid kind of sliding off or yeah. whatever. Like, are there, are there any other really good examples of packaging that you've seen or you found, I guess, inspiring? Yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's two elements of packaging, isn't it? There's structural and there's, there's graphics. And I think that the, you have to sort of view them both together, but especially in the, the space that we work, you know, startups don't really have huge budgets to start structurally redesigning packaging. And, you know, the majority, I would say even in big brands, they're using pre-made, um, pre-made systems essentially. So you, you'll buy um, a blank can or you'll buy a blank box and you'll maybe pick the material that's made out of. I think in terms of Apple, you know, they've, they've probably got budgets to go above and beyond above and beyond and, and, and make that experience absolutely amazing from both a structural and a graphic design point of view. Other brands that spring to mind would be, I actually saw a really interesting, um, I love when um, brands that aren't actually considered sort of cool do something that's really interesting. So I was in, uh, I was in a DIY shop the other day and there was this new paint sample uh, you know the little paint pots that you get to test the sample on your wall? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Dulux had invented a new one, which um, you could actually had had like a mini roller attached to the end of it. So rather than sort <laughs> of having to have having to have a uh, brush, you just literally squeeze the the sample, and it has a little roller on the end. And I just thought that was a little bit of genius. <laughs> now my kids would love that. Yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting. Obviously, packaging is is one representation. I'm just kind of going back to what you said at the beginning of having that, um, you know, identity signed off and ready, and then translated that identity into different forms like packaging. Yeah. Um, in my experience working with brand agencies in the past, and obviously these are like brand big brand traditional brand agencies. Um, it's it's kind of like they always forgot, not always, but I would say 99% of the time, they will forget about digital as a channel. Um, yeah. It's very, very heavy on the print side. And when when you try to translate that into digital, there's a lot of friction between digi- digital agencies and brand agencies um, <laughs> in that sense because they don't really think about digital uh, at all. They basically focus more on the print. So what's your opinion about that? I couldn't agree with you more, and I think it's something that needs to change, but I think it's something that will change organically rather than um, with force. I think that a lot of those traditional brand agencies, and I've worked for them myself, um, are ran by creatives who were around before this sort of onslaught of of digital design. So, you know, they're obviously not going to be... Um, driven by that quite so much but I think from I suppose sort of my age and and younger we think about that as we're designing so I, I, I do see that being a problem that will sort of naturally erode because we we bring it very much to the forefront of our process for sure. That's great. Um, right moving on to teaching well you mentioned at the beginning that you you were um, a teacher at Shillington College um, which you know you can explain maybe a little bit more what that college is um, but um, and now you're going to be teaching at a university as well yeah so what is the best thing about teaching and why you're still doing it even though you've got your agency and you're still really busy yeah, I think for me, it just puts things into context. I think designers can quite easily become quite egotistical. Um, I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. He says, has he sits here talking about himself for half an hour? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think just, um, yeah, focusing on others, it feels a lot better than focusing on yourself. And it's just something that I've learned over the years, I suppose. It puts uh, your own little worries into 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 context against you know a, a vast ocean of graduates trying to find work and and get out there in the industry yeah so what is the main difference between shit like some somewhere like shillington and um university is it how do you pronounce that is it ravensbourne yeah, university? yeah that's yeah. where i used to live actually ravensbourne oh, wow. I always, I'm always scared of pronouncing something in this country because you don't know <laughs> what it is. <laughs> so that's why I said it. Sorry. Um, so what's the main difference? I'm actually just about to start teaching at Ravensbourne, so it's hard to say what the landscape is there. But I did do a traditional design degree myself um, and obviously taught at Shillington. So for those that don't know, Shillington is a three-month intensive course. I think the main difference is with that one really really prepares you to go straight into a studio and be financially viable as an employee um so you know at shillington you're 
you're in there every day from eight till five thirty. You're taught all of the software. You're taught the shortcuts. You're taught um, how to treat type and layout, and you're working to realistic timelines. I think universities um, are slightly different. It's, it's much more drawn out. You're given more time to develop things like concepts and um opinions on things so i think both are really important and i i still think there is a sweet spot somewhere between the two that that no one's quite cracked yet but let's see how it goes at ravensbourne maybe we can do that there <laughs> good luck and <laughs> um, what was the sort of makeup of students at shillington was it all sort of new graduates or or younger people or was were there any ones looking to change career yeah, absolutely. I would say 50-50. I'd say 50% of the people there were, were, were career changers. Um, and the age range was probably from, I think the youngest student I taught was 18 and the oldest was about maybe 40. Okay, it's quite a range. And what were the, the reasons? I don't know if you dug into it much, but if you did have any insight, like what were their reasons for wanting to change careers and what were they changing from would be quite interesting as well. It was, yeah, I mean, it was varied. You'd have some people that were sort of already done a design degree and they just wanted to sort of brush up on this, their skills a little bit more and, and develop a bit more of a process. Then you'd have people who were an accountant and they, they, they felt like they wanted to do something a bit more creative. But I think the main motivator really is that they think that it's going to be really fun um and that's something that I do. <laughs> you seem be that out of them i guess <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i think it's it's almost day one when we we break the harsh truth um that that it's probably not that fun I, i've met a lot of designers and i can't remember anyone sitting there with a smile on their face all day um i think it's rewarding and i think it's worthwhile but that's very different from i think what what people initially get into it for and i think that's something that needs to be educated a little bit more i think yeah i've spoke about mm -hmm. it a bit before on the podcast but i remember um looking at like a computer graphics module while i was at university and when they were sort of promoing the course and stuff showing like toy story or whatever yeah. Like, oh yeah that that'd be pretty cool and then i went to sort of the taster session and it was just like here's 18 pages of maths on how you draw a sphere i was <laughs> like yeah maybe not <laughs> yeah i think there the reality is is very different from the sort of imagine imagination of it, isn't it? I actually met um, people who actually did the course, thinking before they joined the course, this is just going to be fun. This is going to be, you know, something different, blah, blah blah. And then like crying because they had no time to do anything, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just really full on. Which I mean, still enjoying it, but you know, it's really really tough. And I know I wonder how much does like natural talent play but in being a good designer versus being trained because you know even if I I don't know maybe it's just me but I even if I did a course like that I didn't think I'll be a very good brand designer you know what I mean I, I don't think I actually developed those skills do you think people can actually do that I think it's I think it's there's there's uh I suppose there's scope and I don't think it's this sort of black or white yes or no situation I think that some people are very analytical thinkers. Some people are very lateral thinkers. And I think that there is room within the role of being a designer for every different type of mindset. 
But I would say that something like working in brand design or advertising probably suits people who can think laterally quite quite sort of intuitively, if that makes sense. I would say mm-hmm. that if you were to go and design annual reports or maybe if you were to go into UI design, then maybe you're a bit more systematic in your nature and you don't want to um, go go so much down into that conceptual side of things. But I think... I think it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting topic, and I, I don't think there's a there's a I suppose a clear cut answer, but I'd say lateral thinking is something that that seems to be inbuilt and and quite hard to teach. I'd say. So looking to the future, then a little bit, you're going to be teaching lots of students, I guess, going forward. Um, yeah. What challenges do you think that next generation of designers are going to be facing, I guess, post-COVID and just generally in the future? Yeah, I was actually speaking to two graduates yesterday, and there does seem to be this attitude at the moment that that people just aren't going to find jobs because of COVID or because of the pandemic. And I'm sure that is the case for people, but it's just really not a very helpful attitude to have um you know stay positive keep applying keep designing uh it's no different 10 years ago when i graduated it took me eight months to find a job so i think this sort of victim culture that that people are creating for themselves isn't isn't really going to help them um i think just just keep going i think the pandemic will have an effect but it may have loads of opportunities as well so if you start jumping to negative conclusions you're going to do yourself out of a job that's so true and i think that, as you said there's a lot of opportunities and you with your new agency as well kind of is an example of how you can still do good stuff and you know and survive in the middle of the pandemic Absolutely. um just to wrap up now um i just oh, we always ask this question um around what can you advise designers or junior designers or people getting into brand design um uh, what do you recommend they do what is are there any books podcasts resources courses or something that you recommend for them to either you know get their brain like ready for it or get it started uh, in brand design yeah definitely i think if they're changing from another discipline i definitely I, I definitely recommend a course, something like Shillington, or if they've got time, do a degree. I think either is, is a good option. Um, I think if they are maybe changing from another design discipline or they're quite early in their career and they haven't chosen a specialism yet, then I, I think, you know, start having a go at some hypothetical branding projects to add to their portfolio, uh, mm-hmm. maybe build an online presence and start start raising some awareness of what what you're up to and i think something that people don't seem to do anymore is is pick up the phone for its original use um like like we're doing now i suppose call people they they are absolutely happy to talk to you um and and i think asking a creative director if they've got 10 minutes for a coffee is is one of the most unique things you can do these days which is crazy when you think about it <laughs> and actually now they say that um with the pandemic people have actually more time because you can do a zoom call anytime so you can have access to people easier than before absolutely and I, i've seen a huge offering from creative directors and things on linkedin offering to help graduates and and give them a bit of their time so i think there's, there's definitely people out there willing to help 
In terms of books, um, I've got three here. So uh, one is a typography book called Type Matters. Uh, you definitely can't design a brand without knowing how to design with typography. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is the Advertising Concept book. Uh, I think it's just a fantastic source of all of the great conceptual design work that's that's been created over the years. And it, it's actually amazing because it shows you the work in sketch form. It doesn't show you how it ended up uh, when it was fully designed. It's just how how was the idea originally drawn on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, and the final one is Creative Mischief by Dave Trott. Now that's uh, an actual sort of it's not a it's not a book that you um, look at the nice images. It's 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 a book that you read and it, it's all about um, how to think more creatively and 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 how to sort of beat the competition. So yeah, I'd recommend those three. As a wider point, I think you can't really be a brand identity designer unless you're embracing wider culture so listening to comedy watching great films reading novels if if you're going to be working in an industry that's connecting with people culturally and you are culturally void you won't understand your audience and you won't understand what they're drawn to um so i just say be curious and and and, and try a bit of everything and, and try to understand what drives people and and what they're drawn to that's really great. It's actually, um, I'm taking notes as you speak because in my new job that I only did for a couple of weeks before I'm at leave, I actually have to work with a lot of creatives and a lot of the work that I do is to inform, you know, concepts and creativity. So definitely really useful for me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No problem. So thank you, Andy, for like being here to um to share with us all your knowledge and really, really good luck with your new agency and your new course in Ravens, how do you pronounce it again? Ravensbourne. Oh my God, why do you have to make names so complicated in this country? Ravensbourne <laughs> University. Good luck. Um, and, and yeah, we'll see you around. Perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been really nice to talk. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled, at chris underscore mears underscore ux and at Carla Lindarte. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.